Now this is Hollywood Unlocked. What up, everybody? It's Hollywood Unlocked Uncensored. I'm Jason Lee. It's good, y'all. It's DJ Damage. Let's get this show started. Okay, now we talk to a lot of people, and sometimes the show gets really controversial, but there's only been one person in the U.S. government that I have been waiting for yes. to talk to, and that's been Auntie Maxine. I'm going to call you Auntie Maxine because um, I met you in the airport. I, I know you don't remember because you meet lots and lots of people, but I met you in the airport. I can't remember where I was traveling from. Uh, you were with your husband. It was early in the morning. And there's no way you can hide because everybody knows who you are. And I said to my friend, I said, I got to go over there and say something to her. And he said, leave her alone. I said, no, I just have to because I feel like you've been the voice for the voiceless for so many years. And so we, we took a picture and you were very gracious and you didn't tell me to get away from you. So I thank you for that. Wow. You're so welcome. Absolutely. And so, listen, you, you've been around for a long time. And here's the deal. Now that I know you're a Leo, I'm one. my birthday is one day after yours. I absolutely understand your passion. Um, why did you decide to dedicate a whole life to civil, to civil liberation, to the, to, the, yes. to the justice system, and to everything that you've been doing uh, in public service? Well, let me just say that, uh, first of all, I'm pleased to be on with you. Um, and uh, I'm sorry that, you know, the memorial is on right now for George Floyd uh, and the fact that he died the way that he did. And so I just want to say at the top of the show that my heart goes out to the family. Uh, and uh, yes, uh, this is a struggle that I'm in, that you and many others are in, because we want to stop this madness that has been going on historically, uh, you know, the police targeting and killing our people, unarmed black men and women. Uh, having said that, I'd never had a plan really uh, for how I was going to conduct my life and a career. Uh, it just ha so happens that um, not only have I had some supportive people along the way uh, that helped to guide me uh, by their examples, but let me tell you a little bit about my background. I'm from St. Louis, Missouri. That's right. That's uh, I have 12 brothers and sisters came from a huge family in St. Louis, Missouri. Uh, we didn't have much of anything. We were among the poor. And so I have watched people suffer. I've watched, uh, you know, uh, children uh, in our neighborhoods who walked in the snow without snow boots, uh, you know, trying to go to school in the wintertime, in the rain without raincoats. We never had any of that kind of stuff. Uh, that those were considered luxuries. I have watched uh, young people die uh, because they got involved with drugs, et cetera. So I have witnessed up close injustice and inequality all my life. And so having done that, um, and I had the great fortune of having some great African-American teachers, uh, you know, from grade school through high school who talked about um, our history and talked about slavery. And uh, my life has been, without a plan, the great fortune of being involved with meeting people, engaged with folks who also care. And so that has formed my philosophy. That has formed uh, basically who I am and what I care about. And so that took me into uh, politics. Uh, we used to have a social worker. I was on welfare. We were on welfare. The social worker would come to our house. She would talk bad to my mother. She would look in the refrigerator uh, and uh, she had power. 
She had the power to determine whether or not you were going to get that check. And so I thought I wanted to be a social worker because I wanted to use that power to treat Peter better, people better and to uh, take care of folks. Well, as it turns out, uh, you know, it really is government. It really is politics. It really is public policy uh, that really has a lot of control over our lives. And so with a lot of other people who believed in me, I just um, challenged the system, went against the elected officials uh, in Los Angeles after I had arrived there and worked there, uh, worked in the Head Start program, all of that. And I beat, uh, you know, the black establishment of elected officials who had a candidate against me. And of course, I've gone on from there to serve in the California legislature for 14 years before elected uh, to the Congress of the United States on this issue of police abuse. I got involved when a police chief named Daryl Gates. I remember in him. Los Angeles. You remember Daryl Gates? Uh -huh. well, he was a police chief and he was an honorary police chief. There was an incident where the police officers killed a woman named Eula Love, shot her down on her front porch with her two daughters listening. Why did they kill her? Uh, because she didn't have $22 to pay the gas bill. Mm. They called the police on her. The uh, gas company went out to shut off her gas. And she said, no, you're not going to shut off the gas. She may, And I understand she may have had like a small knife or something she was waving. Anyhow, they killed her. That got me really upset, really involved. I organized something called Black Women's Forum. We took on Daryl Gates. We marched. Uh, we went to the police commission. We asked for his resignation. He's also the one who popularized the choco. Mm -hmm. And he also had something called a battering ram. It was a long uh, steel rod uh, with a contraption on the end that he was breaking down doors. This was the height <laughs> of the uh, epidemic of crack cocaine mm -hmm. in those communities. Okay. So it was some bad times. So I decided to create programs uh, to deal with all of the young black men and women hanging out in public housing projects. I had a lot of them in the district at that time in the assembly. Uh, Nickerson Gardens, Jordan Downs, Imperial Courts, Avalon Village, all of those. And so I created a program uh, because there was supposed to be job training and all of that. I got to know, you know, the gangs and, you know, the families and all of that. We did some tremendous work. Uh, not only did we uh, help to do some basic job training, I created the training programs. I flew from Sacramento every week. I conducted them in the housing projects. I got the housing projects to give me the gems. Uh, and we put people on, on the payroll. And then I had another program. I told them, I have to have a stipend. And so back in the day, you come to my program. Uh, we start out, we feed you, we give you breakfast. And then we go through role playing. We go through what an application is, how to conduct an interview. And then at the end of the day, I had a $10 bill, Chris $10 bill uh, that, you know, I got from the government in a program. And we gave out $10 every day. And we had a lesson about the $10. What can $10 do for you? And then I would uh, basically challenge them to use that $10 for it, whether it's the haircut, whether it was to give your grandmother five of it for helping you out or whatever you could use that for. But I would always end and say, I will not spend my $10 on dope today. I will not spend my $10 on, on any um, drugs today. And so I've been through, you know, life experiences in a way 
that has formed me, shaped me, and this is who I am. Uh, and I dare to confront uh, injustice and inequality, whether it's the president of the United States or the cop on the block. Yes, I took on President Trump. He is a deplorable human being. I've really never met anybody like him. And a lot of the right wingers get upset because I say the gangbangers that I work with had more integrity than this deplorable human being. Mm. And so this is who I am. And even today and now, as we have watched him talk about calling out the military on protesters, talking about calling out vicious dogs, he's always dog whistling to that constituency. I tweeted back to him, uh, you are the most vicious dog we know, and we're not afraid of you. And so we have to, you know, deal with them and you can't back down. And I have to tell you this, because of my life experiences, because of what I've encountered, the way that I've learned to understand who people are, a racist is a racist is a racist. I'm not out to change racist minds. I'm out to be transitional. I got the power. This is what I can force you to do. And this is what you're going to have to do. So we have to gather power. We have to use the power of elected officials, elect those who understand what needs to be done and have the courage uh, to confront these issues. We have to have the power uh, to run for office. We have to have the power to organize and the power that's unfolding today with all of these young people, black, white, green, uh, Latino, what have you, Asian, hitting the streets is power. And that power is causing the decisions that are being made now and will be made about what just happened uh, uh, to George Floyd. And that power uh, can be um, maximized in ways that you can control uh, police departments. You can learn how to undo elected officials. You can learn how to run people for office that you think will be the voice of the people. And you know, it's all about transitional power. If you got power, uh, you can use that influence and that power to change some things. We worked on Daryl Gates until uh, he got out of office. And I think when he died, he was unhappy that he could not have the power of the racist that he had exhibited in South LA because we organized against him. We confronted him. We got rid of the chokehold. We got rid of the battering ram. And uh, we helped people to understand uh, that they did not have to suffer under him. And the police commission changed somewhat, not enough. Uh, got different kind of people, not enough, but you have to continue the work. It is ongoing. And that's a long story about who I am. Oh, no, no, listen. And, and I and I think that's a great way of really laying out a lot of what I wanted to talk about because I come, you know, I'm known as the, the radio guy and the Hollywood Unlock guy and the TV guy. But before that, I spent 11 years with SEIU and I organized in these streets ah. for healthcare workers. So, you know, I, I, I know you and I know that you have one of the most, um, the, you have one of the best teams in, in in the in the government who are helping to guide what you're doing to advocate uh, for people of color. And what one thing I I've, I thought about when I knew we were going to interview was you were the first person I believe who said we need to impeach Trump. Like I don't even know if he was able to get to the impeachment before I mean to the uh, inauguration before you said we need to impeach him. But I know you were like right on it. Why do you That's think right. with why do you think with all your experience and all you've been through and everything you know, um, 
about you know the will of the people and what people want and what people's interests are as a collective why do you think people weren't listening to you then and then it'd be and then he was impeached yeah but they impeached him for the wrong thing and it didn't connect with the people in the way that i think uh you know they should have unfolded the information about him his real connection to putin and russia his Mm. real involvement uh and um you know, undermining the election system in our country. I, I don't think that Mueller, our uh, special counsel, got into those issues. And remember, he kind of dropped that side of it. And um, that's what I think uh, with the right kind of work uh, could have been done. Of course, uh, most people uh, are not gonna move on the impeachment of the president of the United States, particularly if they fear that kind of power going up against that power, they don't understand all of the reasons why. So in trying to you know, frame why he should be impeached, we didn't have the information that could have been born out of deep investigations. Now my stat did some of the investigations. We knew who Manafort was. We knew who uh, Cohen was. We knew who uh, a number of them were because we had found this connection uh, between all of them and Russia. And we knew uh, that something was going on where deals were being made to lift the sanctions uh, on, uh, on Russia and on Putin. And that's where I think the power could have been in getting him impeached. But that work was never really done. The money was not put into it by the main investigator, Moeller, our special counsel. And so people weren't willing to back this black woman who, you know, standing out there, you know, staring him down and uh, talking about, you know, what an indecent, horrible human being he was and helping them to understand his history. We did talk about his history, about how he was a racist. He and his father had denied uh, rental units to black people and basically said he didn't want them people to live with them. We also knew that he was a cheater. You know, he had this fake university where he's taking money from young people who thought they could get rich by being developers and, you know, following his footsteps. Of course, uh, they got him in New York and they forced him to have to give restitution to some of them who had uh, paid him money uh, to to get this learning, which he really didn't have. uh, But it was really fake learning, as as he would call other people fake. This was really fake. But, you know, and, and then there was. Uh, other stories about him that started to unfold. I mean, the the article that came out about the Central Park Five where he talked about them. I mean, he's literally, he's the only tyrant that I've ever, I mean, I've been, I was, I'm 42. I've been around even in Reagan era, right? I'm looking at this and I don't understand why millennials and, and specifically black people, brown people have not mobilized as angry as we are right now today around the fact that like you can't work at the United States Postal Service and lose mail or be late on your route and keep your job. But we have somebody who has, I mean, attacked the Chinese Americans who's try, who slammed Muslims, who's encouraged, uh, you know, uh, racial tension in this country. You saw what happened in Charleston. And I'm like, we even, I mean, just add Putin on top of that. But it's just like, what is the process it's like once you get in, you're just there. You know, I mean, it, well, it's, it's that, you know, and I think part of it is, and this is a bit of speculation, 
if you think about how people are socialized in general in their families, you know how your mom tells you, uh, you know, be nice, uh, you know, don't talk back, uh, you know, uh, I want you to look, uh, you know, like you're proper and that uh, don't curse. You know, they basically socialize in such a way that it is absolutely in opposition to what you've been taught to step out of that teaching and to confront particularly so-called leaders. You know, people look up to people who they think have power, leader, money, and all of that. But if you just take a look at his history, his daddy was a crook too. Uh, and you take a look at his racist actions and how he's cheated people. He's got a record of cheating contractors and subcontractors who today have lawsuits against him. And he beats them in court because he would outspend them. It goes on and on and on. Well, even, even in the midst, even in the midst of attacking the dreamers, right? Like you had, right. you had undocumented workers working for you. Like it's just, I just don't understand. Though I guess I don't understand why that doesn't fire people up to be to like why there's even a conversation around yeah. whether we're voting for Biden or not. What are you talking about? I, I'm just, I, I'm confused. What, what I know, and, and, and it's it's per perfectly understandable. I mean, here's a guy who's going to call out the military, and he was a, a draft dodger. Uh, you know what I'm saying? He didn't do his service because he lied, and he had some doctor talk about he had some kind of spurs or something. But now he's your commander in chief. Well, I can't abide that, and I understand what you're saying about you don't understand why other people uh, didn't get it don't understand where's this following coming from well we know where the following is coming from but you don't know why the resistance was not there yeah. and why people didn't you know say yes he should be impeached and again at the time that they decided to do impeachment it was because of an issue foreign affairs issue that most people didn't identify with mm -hmm. uh, but i am convinced that uh, i did the right thing in challenging him and even now as people see him and his outrageous actions, uh, and they're thinking some of the independents who voted for him, uh, they're just seeing him for who he is and what he is. And it's late. And so now uh, we have to depend on those elections. We have to depend on the protesters who are fired up, who are energized, who are joining with others that they've never really worked with before because they see that this is not only something wrong, but that he's a dangerous man. Uh, and I think that we're going to be able to uh, beat him in these elections. I really do. Now with, now, 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 with all of the organizing going on in the protests and stuff, you were around during Rodney King, right? Do you, oh, feel, yeah. do you feel this? Do you feel it's different now because of social media that the whole world can now see it all in real yes. time at the oh, same yes. time? Well, how do you make it? What's the contrast for you between the riots then and the riots or the, the protests happening now? Well, let me just tell you this. Black people were protesting and uh, basically protesting in our neighborhoods, uh, you know, because uh, number one, uh, we didn't have we didn't. We didn't really travel that far. Remember, uh, you know, back in the day in South Los Angeles, you you didn't have hospitals, you didn't have the colleges, you know, all of that stuff came about in later years. Uh, but black people did what they knew how to do. And that was to uh, basically uh, protest in your neighborhood in the best way that you could. 
and it was black people. It was not the whites that you see out there now. It was not the Asians uh, that now understand the travel ban that mm -hmm. keeps them and their families from coming into the United States. And that we had the Muslims, but the Muslims were based on, as my uh, opinion, on the religion and Elijah Muhammad. And, and they were not really based on you know, dealing with politics of politics. And so now with social media, you're absolutely correct. You can talk to millions of people at one time. And also, I think that a lot of other people have been harmed in ways that they identify more directly now with the kind of problems that we're having. And I'm telling these parents that if you are quiet and if you don't resist this president talking about calling out the military on your children, it's not just black children in the streets now, your children are out there too. And their lives are in danger and at risk. So it's a whole new ball game. Uh, and I do believe that we have, uh, we have expanded the understanding. We've expanded uh, the appreciation for the struggle and the fight. And that we are going to use this power, I think, to make sure that he does not get elected again. But that organizing has to continue so that you have the choices to choose from. And you're able to organize not only from choices to choose from, but you are going to be running for office. You're going to take over some of these city councils. You're going to take over some of these mayorships. You're going to be in the state houses, the Congress of the United States. You're going to be making decisions. So I'm going to use damage as an example. Damage is not involved in the political process as much as maybe I have been, maybe it's years or maybe it's just, what is it damage? I think it's, I, I look at politics as the casual um, civilian out here. Uh, I grew up, I know certain things, but I'm not deeply versed in it. And I guess my question would be somebody like me that is young and has a platform and is a young black man, what can I do to help encourage my peers to make these changes that are beneficial to our community? That's what you're doing now. Just what you're doing. Now, think about this. You know, we have grown up uh, with no ownership of much in radio, certainly not much in television, certainly not much in the communications industry itself. Uh, and so now with podcasts and programs where you can talk with people, that's what's firing up uh, young people. You're doing now exactly what I would have you do. Use this platform to talk, to challenge, uh, to show people that we have a voice. It is extraordinarily important. I grew up, you know, I think maybe, maybe, maybe we had one, one radio station mm -hmm. uh, and it didn't do news. It just did uh, rhythm and blues. You know what I'm saying? And so we still don't have uh, the radio stations that we have. You know, I thank God every day for Stevie Wonder holding on to KJLH here in Los Angeles because he's at least he's doing the news he's doing uh you know he's doing hip-hop he's doing uh, rhythm and blues he's doing old school he's doing that because he's appealing to all the different kinds of factions in our community but in order to get to the millennials and the young people it is about twitter it is about uh, the platforms facebook it is about the way that they have learned to communicate and you're in that mix this is what you do keep doing it and be registered to vote and definitely vote. And oh, you got to be registered. You got to be registered. And now 
in many of the states in California, we got same day registration. So don't tell me you forgot to register and registration closed down. No, you get to that poll. And we've got to confront this president who wants to do away with absentee balloting or mail-in ballot because he thinks somehow that's going to work against him with all this new awareness. He's going after the post office. He's put his henchmen over now to run the post office. And that's what he does. He fires people in his administration who don't go along with what he wants to do. He brings on hitchmen with nothing but sycophants who will do whatever they're told to do. And we've got to resist him, you know, breaking up the post office and doing away with mail-in ballots. Uh, yes, register and vote. Uh, we've got early voting that started in California. It's been going on in many of the Southern districts and under voter suppression, they're trying to do away with that in some states. So we've got to fight voter suppression, requiring us to have certain kind of ID before we can register to vote. We've got a number of people who've been working in these areas for years and helping to get early voting and helping to correct what is ID that is acceptable. But the work has to continue. And we've got to fight uh, to make sure. Now, I tell you another little joke. Uh, I have some young men that I've worked with uh, who said, well, you know, Miss Waters, you know, I can't vote uh, because, you know, you know, I, I, I did some time, what have you. And I said, well, uh, are you on probation or parole? No, no, ma'am. I did my time. I said, well, you're eligible to vote in this state. And, 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 and a lot of people we, don't we know let that. People know that. We need to let people know, that. know that. We got to preach that. As a matter of fact, guys, when you have the opportunity, I want you to develop a program around that. And we've got some wonderful examples of people who have done time and who are out and who are helping in these areas that I can share with you that you might oh, want to oh, incorporate oh, into your yeah. program. Well, you may uh, regret you may re, you may regret this interview at some point because now that we've connected, we, we're gonna do some work because <laughs> after after okay. this after this uh, interview, I'm calling the president of SEIU and uh, statewide union UHW to have a conversation about. Um, the Black Vote Matters and how he can help with infrastructure and investing in a campaign to get people to register. There's so a, I, a lot of potential power in organized labor and to the degree that organized labor not only uses its advocacy, uh, you know, for labor rights, et cetera, spread that out into communities in registration and voting and all of that. And I think you're right on target in talking about that. So with COVID-19 and how everybody has reacted to the pandemic, I personally believe that the country's reacted the way that it is, not just because it's important, but because it's affecting white people too. Um, why hasn't there been like a war on racism in our Congress? Why isn't the Senate, you know, Mitch McConnell to me, I don't know who's in that state, but they need to get him all the way up out of here because I feel like he's the obstructionist as being able to hold this president accountable. But how do we how do we get the, the the Congress to make a war on racism? I mean, I, I don't know. I feel like you've, you've been around long enough to hear all the conversations as a seat. Like I'm looking at our list of all your stuff you've been involved with from homelessness to uh, yes, the impact yes. of drugs, the riots, race relations. Yes. You know, you, you said something I, I really love. You said you talk, you, you even talked to the gang members. They're important because oh, they sure. have influence over our communities. Yeah. Right. When does the oh, war absolutely. on racism happen? I'm their auntie too, you know? Uh, I've worked with so many and I have some really good stories to tell. I've got some young men that I got jobs uh, and ran out folks who weren't from our community who were coming in working in public housing, particularly when they were laying cable and stuff, 
and got these young people hired and they've been on the job long enough where they're about to retire. Mm. Wow. They, and they've bought homes and they've raised families. I've got lots of stories like that. Uh, and again, you know, I'll share these people with you if you ever want to talk with them about this kind of thing. But let me tell you, and remember what I told you about racism. I cannot change McConnell. Nobody can change him. He's a racist. You can't change the president. He's a racist. So you have a lot of that, too much of that. And so it has to be that you're going to do the work. You look at how their uh, uh, districts are, are, are basically um, popularized with who's in that district. How many black people do you have in that district? How many young people do you have in that district? Who are the, uh, who are the progressives in that district? And you put together the kind of organized effort to get the registration and the votes to vote him out of office. Otherwise, his people gonna show up and his people gonna keep voting for him because they like what he's doing. So this is really about using the power of the vote to get rid of the people who do not work in the best interests of all of the people and certainly not in the best interests of minorities in their districts. So just yeah, just Tuesday, I was uh, I was on Good Day LA today talking about Tuesday. They did Blackout Tuesday on social media where they said we're just going to put a black social card and not promote anything else for the day. And I felt like that was a day where there were nine states having elections. And I just it was really frustrating as a former organizer to see that people were being silent on a day where we should be telling everybody to go to the polls. Um, and, and, and part of that, I feel, is like there's a lack of leadership, you know, real defined leadership in the social movements like we used to have Mac Malcolm and Martin back in the day and you know Al Sharpton now with social media everybody is doing something how do you how do we coordinate all of our voices and harness them into a plan that wins for our people well here's the first thing I think that um that people in groups uh, particularly that they interact with have got to decide that they want to do something uh, now, I want to just tell you something. You see the people that are in the street now? Yeah. If people divided up and went out through the neighborhoods, knocked on every door, put voter registration cards on the door, and just say, I just came to make sure that you don't forget to vote. You don't even have to go into a lot of deep conversation. People will be thrilled in many of these neighborhoods. Many of these neighborhoods, they may not be thrilled, but you could take over a whole neighborhood with everybody deciding. They're going to drop a piece of literature on the doorstep that says, this is election day. You got to vote. I mean, whatever the information is. So if you do nothing but that or some other kind of operation like that, that leads you into, you know, the other civil rights organizations and what they may have been doing or trying to do, whether it's an NAACP or mm -hmm. Urban Way or any of those organizations, the more power you have, uh, the more people want to be with you. The more power you have, the more they're going to listen to what you're saying. So it's important to just get started. Just like Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter didn't go to anybody and say, give me permission. And that's one thing we got to stop asking for permission. We got to take permission. We got to give ourselves permission. And so start somewhere. Start with a group and target something. If you decide you're going to go to one of these smaller cities, in the greater LA area and say, we don't like what this mayor and these city council people are doing. We're gonna run our own people. And guess what? Some of those people get elected with six, 7,000 votes. Mm -hmm. 
the maximum 12,000 votes. And they don't spend a lot of money. They may raise, you know, they may raise, some of them raise $25,000, $30,000. And guess what? A group, of, a group of 100 or 200 people can almost raise that money themselves, mm-hmm. you know, without even going to the special interest to do it. In addition to all of us understanding, this is just as important as the food you eat, uh, paying the rent where you live to invest in your future and invest in the possibility that you can elect people who care about you. And see how you know some of these things. And so starting a project and carrying it out and, and t- calling in your elected officials. Don't just see your elected officials uh, when they show up at church, uh, you know, giving a Bible verse that they read the night before that they don't even know what it means. Don't be, uh, you know, go to a dinner where they have a big banner up there talking about, look how wonderful I am. I'm a bank uh, and I'm contributing to this dinner. No, you just foreclose on my mama's house. You know what I mean? No, bank, you can't come into our dinners and put a banner up and give 50 cents to the Boy Scout and think I'm supposed to forget about what you did in shutting down my community with all these foreclosures. So let me just say this. I come from the kind of background that I described to you. Never in my own wildest dreams or the wildest dreams of my neighbors and my friends that I went to school with, that I would be the chair of the Financial Services Committee in the Congress of the United States. Never would they have thought that I have some oversight over Wall Street and that all of the big banks had to come to my committee so I could go over the issues like predatory lending and figure out how we could change this stuff, how I could enforce the Dodd-Frank reforms that we did, the way that I learned under uh, Barney Frank and Senator Dodd. And I'm carrying that out, protecting the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. But more than that, with this pandemic, and the PPP program uh, that was lending money for small businesses so they could hold on to their employees. The big banks took care of their concierge clients and uh, created these uh, portals and they ripped off some of that money in the the first uh, giving out of that money. We saw that, we came up with a supplemental piece of legislation. I took $60 billion out of it, sent it to the black banks the city of finance, that's the community development, financial institution, credit unions, and community banks. So that ability to grab that $60 billion and put it into these small and minority black banks, et cetera, is the power uh, that I have. And whenever I have the opportunity to utilize that power, I do it. And I do it on behalf of the least of these. I'm not ashamed to be black. I'm not uh, intimidated to be a woman. I don't know anybody that I fear and I love our people. I love people in general. I will work for anybody who needs some help and whether in this pandemic, I have to go out and deliver some food or get with Janelle Monet uh, as I did in Jandena, or Blavity, my millennials and give out food as we did in a grab and go last Friday. We gave out 10, thousand bags of lunches coming through in Inglewood. But I, this is my life. This is what I do. Uh, and this is what I love doing. This is what I think really is meaningful for me. And I'll be doing it till I die. They say, Ms. Waters, when are you going to retire? Never. 
Yeah, well, don't, don't, t- t- tell them we have a lot more time to reclaim because I want to reclaim this last four years. Let me ask you this. So recently, yeah. um, going back to the police chief, you know, the L.A. Yeah. the L.A. police chief is under fire because there's been a lot of videos circulating of uh, there was a, a Latino brother right down the street from my house who was beat up by police on camera. And just yesterday I had to reach out to the Compton mayor and and uh, council member about a, a person who was beaten on camera by police. He looked around to make sure nobody was there. He missed the person and got caught beating this person. Um, and now the- I caught, part of, I caught part of that and I'm trying to, do you know uh, who the person was? No, but no, but the mayor has spoken out and she's getting trying to get him removed. But but my point is, is that the L.A. police chief in the midst of all this uh, national uh, outrage has come on and made the correlation between. I mean, he's he said the protesters in Minnesota are are just like the the cops that killed the uh, uh, George Floyd and something to that context. And so now people are calling for him to be resigned. Tony Hawk is called in. Ask the police commission, which, by the way, looks all white to me, um, to uh, have him resign. What? How do we get? How do we get pressure to make those kind of things happen so people see that their government or or elected officials are actually listening to them? Well, there's several things. Show up at the commission, uh, and you, you know you may do it differently than uh, Black Lives Matter. Uh, just filling up the commission room. People don't go there uh, to get on the agenda. All of those. Uh, public offices, whether it's the commission or the city council, they have to have a space for a person to come in and testify on the agenda, even without, you know, having notified them. They have to have some go to the commission. Now, the elected officials have the, their purse strings. They're the ones that vote their budget. And that power is not being used. Who is your city council person? Who are these people who sit on the city council? What are they doing uh, to rein in these police officers? And what are they doing to put pressure on the police chief? The police chief basically is not elected. The police chief is appointed Mm. by the mayor. And so put put the pressure on. It doesn't matter whether it's your mayor or your elected officials, your city council people. You don't have to just stay away and say, well, you know, they're the leaders. Uh, they should know. No, you got to put got to put the pressure on. You got to organize and you got to show up and you got to no matter who it is, whether it is elected official and what level of government, whether it's the city council, the state legislation, the Congress of the United States. It doesn't matter. The people in the final analysis should be able and are able, if they use their power and their influence, to put you in office or take you out of office. Don't forget, it's supposed to be a people for the, uh, supposed to be a government for the people and by the people, and the people need to exercise exercise that influence. Absolutely, and when you talk about that pressure, how impactful are petitions? Because I know throughout the years with all this injustice going on, we've signed tons of petitions does that actually work? Is that a meaningful way of applying pressure to these elected officials or? It's helpful. It is helpful, but alone is not. It is helpful uh, if you're organizing, you use all of the tools uh, to organize. That means that you use petitions, uh, that you show up at meetings, that you organize other meetings, that you protest, that you do any number of in your plan for organizing in order to get the attention and in order to basically shake up some people. 
This is what you do. Petitions is one part of it. But again, you have talked about social media and it is powerful. And so whether it is, you know, Facebook or Instagram or Twitter or what have you, use it. You see how the president uses Twitter? Yeah. You see how he uses it? He gets up, he starts at three o'clock in the morning and he goes on, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't really go to work. He eats, uh, you know, his uh, cheeseburgers and Twitter, you know, all day long. That's just what he's doing. He's tweeting. What, what did you think? Of, what, what did you think about Twitter putting that warning advisory on one of his tweets? Which one? Recently, um, he did a tweet where they said basically that you need to check the facts. Uh, and Twitter came under a lot of fire. And that's where he said he wanted to sign an executive order to hold oh, social yeah. media accountable. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, uh, you know, we've had some problems with uh, people getting away uh, on various uh, social media outlets uh, with being racist, with being, uh, you know, threatening, what have you. And of course, uh, they've always said, well, we don't want to be the arbiters of uh, whether or not it is politically correct. Don't put us in that position. But they made a step. They made a little bit of a step this time. And he doesn't like that. And because he thinks he's a dictator, he thinks that he can tell governors what to do. He has absolutely said he knows more than the generals know. He's absolutely said that he knows what medicine you should take. Uh, to deal with this virus. I mean, he thinks he knows all of that. He really does. And he wants to be like Putin and Kim Jong-un over in North Korea. And so he's saying, if I can't do what I want to do on social media, I'll shut everybody down. I'll show you what power I am. He doesn't have the power to do it, but he'll bluff you. Well, and, let me, and, and let me correct myself. What he said was, if when the if they start looting, then they're going to get to shooting. That was what the tweet was, and a lot of people were attributing that back to uh, racist rhetoric back in the back in the civil rights uh, era. And so, I mean, again, between that and him leaving the White House to take a picture in front of the church and using our government to uh, send out chemical agents to get protesters to clear the area so he can do that again, I just. I hope people are listening to everything you've said in this interview and that they know that they have the power, you know, they have the power to get involved in that. This America has to get back to what it, what it's supposed to be. And I really feel like coming off the heels of Barack Obama, I don't even understand. I feel like I'm in, I woke up and I'm, I'm in an, a reality show, you know? Well, it kind of is. And you're right. That was a racist uh, uh, statement. Uh, when you loot, we shoot. And that he knew he planned it. He knew where he got it from, uh, but that um, the gassing of the uh, the tear gassing of the uh, protesters should have sent a big message out, uh, you know, to the white community. Their kids were there, their kids were there along with the black kids and the Asian kids and the Latin kids and all, and they should understand that this man is dangerous. And if he would gas their kids uh, in an effort to get a photo op, that he would turn the military loose on them. If he thinks it's in his best interest and he can broaden his appeal uh, to white people and to racist supremacists, and he's saving them from all of these other dangerous people who are out there in the street, he'll do it. And so again, he's very dangerous and um, everybody should be concerned about all of this. And the way that he used the Bible, I tell you, he has no respect for anything. Not only did he hold it up, he turned it around so you could read the words on the back of it. So that because when he held it up this way, you couldn't see the words Holy Bible. And of course, uh, you know, these evangelicals who love him, 
they are just as hypocritical as he is because he has gotten away with everything that they claim they stand against. Uh, he has violated, you know, all of the teachings of the evangelicals who are nothing but hypocrites, etc. So he's got that constituency, but we've got to understand that we cannot be intimidated. We cannot back away. We've got to organize. Let's teach our uh, ex-felons uh, that they can vote uh, in some states. And let's, we have people who are working on opening up that opportunity in other states. So a lot of work is going on. And most of us, some of the older civil rights people were still doing the work. But the more you educate our millennials and our young people, they will pick it up and they will do it. And I will see the day. I will see the day when the streets will be so full of young people with voter registration applications in their hands, knocking on doors and dropping it on uh, doorsteps and taking over whole communities and whole neighborhoods doing it. That will wake up the community in the way that the community is waking up and at these, and it's gonna happen soon. Mm -hmm. yes. um, we, we just recently had uh, Representative um, Karen Bask uh, on the show. And we were yes. and we were asking her about uh, something I was passionate about. A friend of mine who was in prison, first time offender. He got eight years. Uh, he served three so far for a pound of marijuana, and in Kansas. And I didn't understand. I didn't. I, and, and maybe I'm just waking up to a problem that everybody's been aware of, right? I really wasn't understanding why that was so. But now with COVID and, and people of color, you know, filling up the that are pretty much filling up these prisons that are in there during COVID. Why are people not making that a big issue? Like at least well, it, ha it has been a big issue for a long time. Uh, I led something called mandatory minimum sentencing, getting away with mandatory minimum sentencing. That really started with our people being arrested and convicted for teeny amounts of uh, cocaine, uh, crack cocaine. Uh, while, you know, bushes and barrels of uh, cocaine was, you know, in the richer communities with whites, basically, uh, who were getting away with that. But the, the fight against mandatory minimum sentencing goes on even today. I've got another piece of legislation uh, that we're going to put, and I hope we might be able to get it into the HEROES bill that's coming up. But let me just say this, some work has been done. And we, we, we were able to impact that working with Bobby Scott and some others. And every year at the Congressional Black Caucus Legislative Conference, I do a workshop on mandatory sentencing, uh, sentencing. And I get all of the groups that are working to undo the mandatory min minimum sentencing and others and judges even who come in. And now what we're really working on is we're working on uh, some retroactivity which means that we got some people out uh, by relaxing uh, the number of years, you know, of mandatory uh, uh, sentencing. And now we're saying that there are others who didn't fall under the laws that have to uh, minimize that sentencing. And we've got to work on trying to get them out. But it has been an issue that we've worked on for a long time and we'll continue to work on it. Yeah, and I know you got to go. One more thing. I know also you've yes. been, you've been, uh, you and your team have, not supported the bill 1154, which um, supported um, you know police departments being able to unionize. I don't know the particulars of that, but I know that you've not you've not gone along with the traditional party line of supporting um, the police union. 
What do you think about de defunding the police? Everybody is talking about that now. Where do you stand on that? Well, here's what. Um, I don't take something that's described that broadly as defunding the police uh, because I don't really know what that really means. Uh, what are you saying? We, are we going to have any kind of uh, security? Uh, are we working on you know, changing the laws? Are we saying that there are certain aspects of your um, funding that we can grab? Is there money that goes from the feds to the cities that we might be take, take away if you violate certain things that we put in a bill? Uh, there are different ways that you have to look at it to give some meaning to it. But I want to tell you this. Police unions have protected police no matter what they do. The police have a culture uh, that a lot of people don't understand, even with black and white police, you know, riding in the same cars, they have to back each other up no matter what they do. And no matter what they do, they're not gonna go against each other. And the police unions threatens the police chiefs and the elected officials. The police unions raise a lot of money and they put it up against elected officials and campaigns. And so when you start to talk about what you do with this whole question of the power of the police, you have to look at it in different ways. You have to look at it in terms of how the police chiefs get appointed or elected. What are your elected officials doing about their budgets? They have controlled these city councils so that not only will they get an increase in pay and nobody else gets an increase in pay, but in addition to that, they have ways that they get overtime that practically makes them rich. Uh, for the overtime that they make. Their benefits are tremendous. They get the kind of uh, benefits that they can retire on and never have to worry again, even if they retire early in age. So all that's controlled by elected officials. So what aspect are you talking about when you talk about defunding? I think you have to break it down, but there are many things that I think possibly could be done. And certainly I do not support uh, the police unions at all. Well, listen, there, there's so much that we wanted to talk about and we tried to cram it all in one conversation. I'm glad we've opened the door. You're welcome to come back anytime and however we can support you and work together on the, the stuff that we're getting ready to get involved with. We would love to. Well, thank you so much for inviting me. And you're absolutely right. Uh, we have a lot to talk about. But again, I want to remind you that your platform is very important. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. What up, YouTube? Thank you for watching this reckless show. Yeah, and hit that subscribe button and don't forget to hit the notification bell. And also don't forget to share and leave a comment because we are reading.